Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at cardboardtoheadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and we have got a great episode to close out 2020 as I am joined by SportsCenter anchor Nicole Briscoe. Nicole and I bond over our favorite workouts, while Nicole shares insight on getting comfortable in your own skin, asking questions and learning, and why we should let go of the idea of balance. Nicole also talks about our expectations for her beloved Green Bay Packers, the importance of knowing your priorities, and so much more. This episode is fantastic, and I know you're going to love it. It will be our last episode of 2020, and we will be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Happy holidays and happy new year, Fangirl Nation. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me this morning for Get My Job. It's really good to be on. It is going to be so fun to talk to you. Uh, Let's just jump right in. So your career started pretty much when you were in college. Yeah. Can you talk about how that first came about, uh, being on camera, and how your journey progressed from there? It's definitely not the traditional route to um, <laughs> this this position. Um, and it's, it's not actually something that I would recommend, but it's one of those things where life throws at you a variety of curves curveballs and you, you just go with it. Um, but I was uh, in my first year of college and I had a professor say to me, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's the same question you get asked from the time you're eight years old. Um, and I said, I want to be the Monday Night Football sideline reporter. And I, I think... I think part of him was probably laughing at me. Um, (laughs) I mean, looking back, I I think that that was probably the case, but he gave me really some invaluable advice because he said, go get an internship now. He said, he's had so many people, you know, that go to school for four years and then it's time to get an internship and they realize they hate what it is that they've been studying for and sort of the idea of what the job is doesn't meet the reality. And he said, go Mm -hmm. get an internship now. So I did. And I was, you know, 18 or 19 and I got an internship at the local, uh, you know, NBC affiliate. And basically, where I was going to school was like this little triangle. So I lived at my parents' house, um, and I, 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 you know, drove over here for school, and it was all within thirty minutes of each other. And so I got this internship, and I basically never said no, and I learned how to do everything. And then the internship led to a, you know, a lowly little PA position where I continued to do everything. And um, I had some really great mentors. In fact, if you ask me like now, you know, some of the most influential people in my career, some of those people in the very early days are perhaps, you know, top five on the list. But I learned to do everything. And, you know, sort of one thing led to another. And it's a small station and a small market. And, you know, they're shorthanded and they need help and life happens and people go out sick. And I got a couple of opportunities. And I actually saw... (laughs) Not in like an egotistical way, but I actually saw something recently of like early tape and I thought it was going to be awful Mm -hmm. and it was awful, but it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So like, obviously I had some sort of talent back then um, and Mm -hmm. I really loved it. 
And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, one thing led to another, like I had them, you know, then offer me a job and it was a three-year contract. And I was like, well, if they're offering me a contract, maybe somebody else would. And I started job searching at the age of 20. Um, and, you know, it's, if the, the, the sports stuff is what I always wanted to do when I was in news and, um, it's, it's, it's the sports stuff that like, if you had said to me, Hey, you're going to be involved in racing for, you know, a good 10 years of your career, I would have laughed at you because that didn't make any sense. But it's like I said, the life throws at you curveballs, and you just go with it. And you, you think you have a plan for everything. But a lot of times, if you, if you just go with the curveballs, you end up in a place that you never imagined. And sometimes that place is even better than what you did hope for. And I think that's uh, important to focus on for a second because oftentimes we do have such a strict plan and such laser focus on what we're going to do. And it's really important to be open to opportunities because you just never know where anything leads. No, and everything – it's funny. Like if I would have said, no, I'm not going to go to – you know, I'm not going to take that opportunity to, to interview for the job in Indianapolis. I'm going to take this job in Charlotte. Like so many things in my life would have gone a completely different way. And I think about it and it's like I never would have met my husband and then my I wouldn't have my kids and would I end up where I am now and sort of something, the racing part of it, the, I, I never expected to do that. It never made sense growing up. Like I wasn't a racing person and now it's become such a huge part of my life and it's led to so many amazing opportunities that it's like I can't imagine it not being a part of my life now. So – I want to talk about the racing because you were at the Speed Channel, then you were motorsports host and a reporter at ESPN. Yeah. Um, so you did not grow up a fan of motorsports, but once you started doing it, did it feel pretty natural? Did you kind of instantly fall in love with it? I did. Well, because I think part of it was, you know, timing. Timing was everything. And I moved, uh, I moved to Indianapolis in April of 2000, April of 2004. And that was right before, you know, the month of May. And I, the, the Pacers were in the playoffs and they were playing the Heat. And the two established guys in the sports department, they were like, well, we're going to go hang out in South Beach for, you know, the next two weeks. <laughs> You're going to go 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 do the grunt work at the track. And there's something really special about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. In fact, I will, I will tell you this to, to this day, having been, you know, so many times now, but if you're a sports fan, that event, that race needs to be on your bucket list. It's it's not just a race. It's the pageantry. It's the day. It's the history. It's like man and machine. The, the teamwork, the speed, all of it is is amazing. And you know, some of my favorite Indy 500 memories are that very first year and being at the track when it was you know race morning and it was still quiet and feeling like you needed to whisper, like you were on hallowed ground and you, you needed to whisper as like the track came to life. And um, you know, I. I fell in love with it that year and I sort of immersed myself in it and had to learn a ton of things. But because I put in the effort to learn and I wasn't afraid to ask questions of people who knew and still know so much more than I do, um, you know, it led to opportunities. And, and, you know, before the end of that sort of race season was over, the radio network that handled play-by-play -play for the IndyCar series asked me if I'd be interested in doing you know, a couple of races at the end of the season when they needed a fill-in for, you know, the, the pit reporting. And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and, then the next season, and then the next season rolled around. They're like, hey, we want you back. In order for me to then do it to fulfill my, you know, my normal day job, they had agreed to give my station satellite time. And wow. that's how Speed Channel found me because I was filing a report 
for my station on the event and speed had been on the same window and they saw me and I got a call from the guy who was in charge then because they were redoing a couple of things and they were like, hey, we, we liked what we saw. Would you be interested in talking to us? And so that led to that. <laughs> and it goes back to what we were just saying. You just offered to say yes. You say <laughs> yes. Be in a place of yes. And that's funny. That's one of the things that like I tell people now because I no one can tell you how to get from A to B. No one mm-hmm. can. And everyone's path from A to B is going to be completely different based on just you and your life circumstances and, and just a, a million different variables. But I think the one thing that a lot of people will look back on after years and be like, well, I just said yes to that. And I took that opportunity and I learned to do this. And then that thing led to this thing. And if you just say yes, I mean, it's not always easy because there are a lot of times where you feel like you don't have a life and you're missing out on a lot of things. And you have to figure out what's important to you and you have to have your own priorities. But a lot of times if you just say yes and just go with it and you learn every possible thing that you possibly can, it just benefits you in the long run. You know, like there's the idea now like, oh, I'm too good for local news. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. Like you need to go and learn. I actually had somebody in um, a, a college student say to me, I, you know, I just don't think local news is for me. Hey, newsflash, local news isn't for anyone. But that's where you go and you cut <laughs> your teeth and you make your mistakes and you learn everything. And like you have a chance to learn about producing and that helps you understand how the show comes together and it helps you understand somebody else's job. And guess what? That makes you better at yours in the long run. And all of those things come together and they matter in the end. Well, and I think we live in a world now, especially with social media and there's so many different platforms, which is incredible because there's so much opportunity. But I think it also sometimes gives a false idea that you should go from waking up one morning to say, I want to be the sideline reporter for Monday Night Football to then being it the next day. And it doesn't work that way. No, Um, and I will will say this too to some people. Like, I witnessed it. It, You can get thrown to the wolves too soon and you don't recover. Like, you spend years then trying to sort of undo the initial impression that you left. And there's nothing wrong with taking your time. And the, the the golf analogy is always fairways and greens, fairways and greens. If you hit the fairways and you hit the greens, chances are you're going to hit a pretty good round. If you're fairways and greens and you have your fundamentals in this business, it's such a solid foundation that leads you to so much success in other ways. So you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago that I wanted to go back to that you weren't afraid to ask questions and learn. No. And I think it's really important because I think a lot of times people are afraid to ask questions. They don't want to be wrong. They don't want to look like they don't know everything. But if you could just talk about how important it is to be able to ask those questions. I still ask questions every single day at the office. You know, I mean, you, you, you surround yourself with people either by chance or by community or by employment. You surround yourself with people who make you smarter and make you better. And it's up to you to use those resources wisely. And like now, perfect example is, do I have every soccer player's name worldwide memorized? No. Can I (laughs) rattle off every hockey player's name with the correct pronunciation? No. But I'd rather ask and like make a valiant attempt to get it right and be right and ask questions if I don't understand you know, a rule in soccer, because soccer is not my, you know, not my number one thing. Like if I don't understand a rule, I'm going to ask about it. I'm going to try to get it right and, and learn, like 
there's nothing wrong with learning. No one, no one is an expert at everything. Everyone's always learning. And, you know, back in the, you know, the early days in racing, I, I knew less than nothing. And I was lucky enough to be uh, at a station that had a, a, a former driver um, who had long since retired, but a former driver who was still involved in the sport as like their, their analyst for the month. And he sort of took me under his wing and, you know, helped me not just learn who people were, but like who to go to when you have this question. And this is actually, you hear this phrase, well, this is what this phrase means. And this is what it, this is what it does. Um, and I think when you're the new person, people expect you to fail. No one's expecting you to be perfect at anything, pretty much at any time, unless you're listening to people on Twitter, then of course you can never make a mistake. But right. do you know what I mean? I think if somebody comes in and is like, hey, I'm new and I, and I want to learn, I appreciate that. I appreciate the effort that people put in. And I think that maybe part of that was what I had going for me, you know, back in, in 2004, you know, I would, sometimes I would apologize. Sorry if this is a stupid question, but I'm trying to understand this. Um, and it just kind of, you know, I, I still don't know a ton about it. No one could possibly ever, but I, I just, I think learning every day is important no matter what you're doing whether you think you've reached the top or the pinnacle or not, like it's important to ask questions. We can always, always learn more. I actually, I used to work for the um, former mayor of DC. I went from sports to politics and back to sports. Um, mm -hmm. But when I first worked for him and I started in his press office, my boss said to me, if he asks you a question, you don't know the answer, tell him you don't know, but you will find out. Don't yes. guess. He doesn't, it's worse if you give him the wrong information. It's okay not to know. Yes. But be honest about it. And it's really, I think that's important advice generally. Right. People need to remember that across the board. Especially today. Because yeah. I think we live in a competitive world and everyone wants to seem like they know it all, but nobody there's, does. There's there's like an instant gratification, like an entitlement factor. And I think, you know, we've seen that a number of times with breaking news stories. There's so much effort to be first. And mm -hmm. the problem is now everyone has access to a phone. Everyone has access to a, a device that in a lot of ways can make them a quote unquote journalist. But unless you're reliable and unless you're trustworthy and unless you are putting out the correct information, then being first doesn't matter. Being first and wrong is not only irresponsible, but it can be dangerous a lot of times. I mean, think about back in January, the Kobe Bryant stuff mm -hmm. and that tragedy you saw some of the mistakes that journalists were making and how it impacted them. Um, but you saw that when there was just this rush to get all the information out there. I, you know, for me, I, I remember that day waiting for certain people to tell me, waiting to read it from certain people because I knew that they were putting the effort in. They may not have been first, but I knew they were right. And I'd rather follow that person and listen to that person than the person who's just firing off the hip, which is like random information that may or may not be right. Well, and it's, it's better to be right because if you were first and wrong, that means next time. That means nothing. Right, no. It means and, and next time nobody will believe you. I mean, it, it takes away all your credibility. Yeah. So I, I think that that is excellent, excellent advice. Um, so you've been a host, you've been a reporter, now mm -hmm. you're a sports center acre. Uh, can you talk about kind of how the preparation process differs for each one and what you have found kind of most, I don't know if the word is rewarding, but let's go with rewarding um, from each. I think 
I think the general idea is basically the same because you want to be prepared, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when you're a reporter, generally speaking, you have a, a more narrow approach. You are covering a game or you're covering a story, but you still have to be well-versed in that story. You still have to know what the questions are. You still have to know things that can come up and who the key players are and things like that. And all of that is, is preparation and you know, background and research. And again, asking the questions, the people around you so that you have a full understanding. Um, because I think that's the, the business that we're in now. One of the big challenges is like, again, it goes back to the phone and how people watch. Like it's, you watch a game, but you're not just watching a game on your phone. You're watching it on your, your second, your second device, you know, the, the second experience. And you as a broadcaster now need to tell me something I don't already know. Like make you, you need to be the person that takes me as a reporter. It's okay. Take me inside the locker room. Tell me something that I can't see and hear with my own eyes. And all of that comes with preparation. It's just, I think when you're a reporter, like I said, it's a more narrow focus. Um, like when I did NASCAR, you know, I knew a lot about a little, and now I feel like I know a little about a lot, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't possibly be an expert on everything. I, I can't possibly watch every single game every single day because I, I, I do also have a life outside of my job and I, and I do need to sleep. Um, but I think the preparation, I know, I, but I think the preparation aspect of it remains this, the same. Um, in, in terms of what I find rewarding, I mean, I think there's always there's always some sort of adrenaline rush that comes with a show or a live event or something like that. And there's, you know, fine, you're an adrenaline junkie. Um, and there's, there's that part of it. Um, but I just think it's rewarding when I feel like I've done a good job. I always find it like if someone were to come up to me and, and say, I didn't know that, or you made me look at something differently. That's one of the the biggest, I think, compliments that I could get in, in my line of work. Like if I feel like I made somebody maybe more knowledgeable about something or made them smarter or clued them into something else, that would be a huge compliment. And, and I think that that kind of goes with the effort that you put in before you even get to the actual live event or the show. So you mentioned having a life outside of work, which is an important. And um, I know in the beginning of one's career, like we talked about earlier, Sometimes you don't have as much of one, but you know, now you do. And that is important. Yeah. Um, you're a mom of two. There are other things you like to do. How do you find, especially during COVID, how do you strike that? And I hate the word, I don't hate the word balance, but I don't love the word balance because I don't think we can balance everything There's, all the time. No, Some things never. are going to have priorities over. But how do you kind of find that, that fine line and how do you, how do you work within that? I, th I think the idea of balance is terrible. Like you never have there's never enough time. There's never like you're something is always going to give. And I think you just kind of come to a point in your life where you're, you're at peace with that and you have to know what your priorities are. And I can say this as someone who's 40 and feel comfortable in my own skin. I like, I found my voice. I found, I found me a long time ago and I know what's important to me. I know what makes me happy. And I know the things that are important and the priorities, and I don't let the random noise, whatever that noise may be, I don't let that sort of shake my core values. Like 
my kids are always going to win. Mm-hmm. They may drive me nuts sometimes, but my <laughs> kids are always going to win. My family is always going to win. Um, and I, I, I still think, you know, someone said the other day something to the effect of what's like the perfect day. And I was like, oh my God, there's no such thing as a perfect day. Because as a mom or as a dad, you're always going to feel like, crap, I shouldn't have – I shouldn't have been on my phone looking at that email when Finley was telling me the story. I should have been more dialed into her moment and, and her thing. And you kind of go to bed at night and you kind of kick yourself over certain things. Or you're like, I should have, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I should have made myself available to get, you know, so-and-so from school or, or, or whatever. Um, and, I th- and I think at the end of the day, if you, can, if you can go to bed at night and the things that are like hanging over your head don't give you that awful sinking feeling then I think you found your idea of balance. Does that make any sense? That does. That actually makes a lot of sense. I really, I love that. (laughs) And I think that's, I think that's important because we all do that in all different parts of our lives. I mean, I saw a meme not that long ago that was something like, um, I was so tired, but then of course I stayed up because I have that thing I said in seventh grade. You know, we all like go to bed with things that we think about from different parts of our lives, whether it be like you said, you were looking at an email when Finley was telling your story or we think we said something wrong or did so. So we all do that. And I think it's an important place to get to. And it goes back to something you said at the beginning of this part of the conversation that a long time ago, you found your voice and you found you. Um, And if you could talk about kind of where that confidence came from and it's probably a lot of trial and error, but how you got to that place where you said, okay, I'm comfortable in my own skin and that's how it's going to be. I think that's what it is. I think it's like just being comfortable in your own skin and I don't, and it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen right away. And I'd like to think it comes with age and, and maturity. Now, I, I, I didn't find it when I was 32. Like I have no idea. I, I couldn't pinpoint a time, but I do remember like having conversations with my mom and being like, oh, well, it's okay if, if – in having like the, the idea that I had like these two personalities, there was like TV me and then there was real me. And if you didn't like TV me, that was okay because that wasn't mm-hmm. the real me. And I don't know when it happened, but I, I, I really remember one day just being like, ah, this is stupid. Like <laughs> this is stupid. Who cares? You're not – not everyone's going to like you. And that's that's the case like across the board. You can you can be at a party with your husband's work friends and not everyone at the party is going to like you. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But do you mm-hmm. like you? Good. Do the people that you care about like you? Fine. And I think it's just, that's a small example of like how you can apply it to like larger areas of life. And I just – I feel like I stopped caring and I wanted I wanted to be able to feel like I could give all of me – in all aspects of my life. I know you might not like my voice. You might not like what I'm wearing. You may hate my shoes. I may irritate you. You may think I'm a smart aleck or whatever. And yeah, there's probably all of those things. But I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm confident in who I am and I'm going to continue to be who that is. And I think when whenever that happened, there was like um, – you know how sometimes in sports I talk about, oh, suddenly the game slowed down? Uh-huh. Whenever that happened, my game slowed down. It seemed like everything in my life got easier because I was firm in who I was. And 
And that means in my beliefs, that means in how I feel about myself and being comfortable in my own skin, not just in how I sound and how I look, but like in how I present myself. Um, mm-hmm. It's like across the board. And when that happens, I think you find you find a, 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 a piece maybe is the right way to say it. And I think I just – I think if you can apply it to like all walks of life, it's just better for – it's better for you. It really is in that getting to that point where you realize the only thing you can control is you. Yes. And that the stuff isn't personal. You know, if you're at your husband's holiday party and the coworkers don't like you, that's probably more about them than you. Right. In fact, it's, it's definitely more about them than you. It's definitely more about them. And it's like, well, so what? Does that affect what you're going to do tomorrow? No, it doesn't. Yeah. It has no impact on it. Now, like if your boss your boss doesn't like you, then maybe you've got a bit of a problem. But right. <laughs> that tends to be a different <laughs> issue. It does. But I think even then, and this might be what we're saying, I think even then, if your boss doesn't like you, you certainly need to kind of evaluate that and see what you can do about that. Right. But even that's not personal. And no, sometimes it's, it's like you have, look, you have to look back at yourself and say, okay, am I comfortable with how I'm behaving? Am I comfortable with the way I conduct myself? And if the answer is yes, am I comfortable with the work I'm doing? And he or she just doesn't like me. Not everybody likes everybody. No. Um, and kind of how do you extricate yourself and move forward? Just you have to know who you are and you have to know. I, th- I think when you know what's important to you, you know what you're willing to sacrifice. You know what you're willing to um, – like you just you just – you know what you're willing to sacrifice and you know what you're willing to not sacrifice. And I think that becomes a very important conversation that you have with yourself. And mm-hmm. once you get like that clear definition in your head, everything else just becomes – it just kind of like, I just feel like it kind of falls into place. So so switching gears a little, um, well, actually kind of a lot, but um, (laughs) when you had to- Your puppies. No, I'm kidding. Yes. I mean, listen, I could talk about puppies all day long. Um, When you had to withdraw from the Chicago Marathon, you were supposed to run it with your husband. Is that correct? No, I was actually going to, he was actually going to be at a race and I was going to do that one solo. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yes. This was the one you were going to do. So, okay. Because you guys yeah. do run together, but this this one you were going to do. Way so faster well. than me, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when you had to withdraw yeah. um, because of an injury, did it give you, I don't know if the word is appreciation, but it did give you a little bit um, of a new appreciation for the athletes yeah. you cover? I don't know if that moment did. Um, I don't know if that moment did because, I mean, my husband is my husband's a race car driver. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I have an appreciation for even though what he does is maybe physically different than what a, you know, a football player does or a basketball player mm-hmm. does and sort of like the, the the physical body needs or whatever. Like I'm I'm familiar with what it takes and the, you know, the effort and the time and the training. And I have a great appreciation for what it takes to constantly be at the top of your game and never having a bad day and playing through injury. I think what it what it helped me understand was the disappointment. Okay. Of you've worked so hard for something and you've sort of maybe imagined how it would feel to do the event or finish the event or you know, you know, walk out into the field in the World Series and then you have an injury and you can't do it. I think that's what that's what it made me appreciate. Sort of like the the variables that you can't control. Mm-hmm. And it made me appreciate all of those things. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Even I mean, even a pitcher who goes out and 
is ready and then just pitches a bad game and just doesn't have his stuff. And unfortunately, that game happens right. to be game seven of the World Series. Um, but that that's interesting, the, the understanding the disappointment. And I think that's an important thing to talk about for a second, too, because, you know, as fans sometimes get the, oh, she can't stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. It's that's not. There's so much of that that is like outside of a person's control. I mean, much. I mean, I would, a lot of it is. Yeah, so oh, much of it is, out, is outside. And I think I think it's also a lesson to, and it goes for everyone, like live in the moment. Like you never know when these opportunities are going to come around again. I mean, mm-hmm. I had to, like for me personally, I had to, I had to withdraw out of the, um, the marathon because I had a wicked stress fracture in my leg that actually turned into more of a actual fracture um, nice. because I'm an idiot and didn't stop when I should have. But I, another I good lesson. Like, what was that? <laughs> another good lesson. So yeah, exactly. Um, learn the difference between being hurt and being injured. And when you're injured, like stop. But no, I think mm-hmm. like you never know when these opportunities are going to come around again. And I had to withdraw from Chicago and I thought, oh, okay, I was going to get to do New York this year. Well, look what happened oh. to this year. And it's mm-hmm. no big deal in the overall scheme of things. Like it's the absolute definition of first world problems. Oh, sorry. You didn't get to run a marathon. Booey, who for you? But it's sort of like a live in the moment and enjoy the things that you're doing when you're doing it because you don't know what's going to happen. Like nothing mm-hmm. is guaranteed. Nothing is ever guaranteed to come around again. That's good advice. It's very good advice. Uh, sticking on the workout theme, uh, we both love bar. Yeah. It's like my favorite and Peloton. Yeah. And those two things have basically been my quarantine workouts every day. Um, who's your favorite Peloton instructor? That's like my most important question I could ask you. Um, I think, um, so I have the bike and the treadmill cause I okay. am spoiled. So on the bike, I really like to do the, um, like endurance zone training, the power zone training and things like okay. that. So I like Christine and I really like Matt Wilkers and Olivia Amato when I want to get fancy and feel like I'm throwing on some glitter. Um, okay. And then like on the treadmill, I love I love the boot camps. Mm-hmm. So I love Andy Spear. Oh, and Adrian Williams. But then okay. I, I totally have a crush on Bex Gentry because I saw her running, literally running at the New York City Marathon. My husband did it. Um, okay last year, so 2019, and I saw her and she's just like this human gazelle and she's amazing and she's just like fast and she's beautiful and her form is perfection. And I'm just like, I just, I totally have a crush on Bex Gentry. (laughs) Those are my, my five, six favorite people. I I rotate, I go in and out of like, you know, what I like to do. That's fair. And your pure bar, is that your yeah, oh, yeah. I, I do Pure Bar. Um, I haven't been in a while because of COVID. Right. Um, but so basically my go-to right now is is definitely the Peloton. But I also um, – the Peloton in both forms. But I also just like go out on the road and do like road cycling. Um, mm, okay. And, um, and just running out on the road. That's – I think honestly that's probably my favorite. That's been my um, – that's my escape. That's what sets me. That's what sort of takes me back to like neutral. Okay. Um, I lost a, a baby this year and have been through some emotionally challenging months and times. And 
while it has physically been hard and exhausting and also physically hard and exhausting to then go back out and run again, it's the one thing that sort of both makes me feel okay again, but also oddly brings up all the emotions that I feel like I need to get out. Mm-hmm. And so that's that that's that's kind of like my go-to. And I think that's important. Emo- I mean, getting your emotions out. I think we also live in a world where, like, I find myself if I'm get emotional, I start to apologize. Like, oh, I'm sorry if I cry. No, no. We should not be sorry. We have to like we have to let it out. It's so I- important. I did that with my um, I did that with my seven year old about something fairly recently, and I don't I don't even remember what it was, but I told her, "Oh, honey, don't cry," and I meant it in a way when I first said it that I I meant it in like a comforting way, and I immediately corrected myself, and I immediately was like, "No, honey, if you want to cry, you cry, you let it out. I don't want you to be sad." I want you to be able to be happy, but if you want to cry and you, and I immediately corrected myself because it's like feeling feeling is okay. Whatever it is that you're feeling is fine whether it's sadness or happiness. Like we need to be allowed to feel. And mm-hmm. no one should tell you how to feel, when to feel it, or why to feel it. You just have to be this this is the being comfortable in your own skin thing. Like mm-hmm. you have to do what's right for you and no one knows what's right for you other than you. That there is the most important life advice that you can give somebody. Nobody knows because then we all, it's like when we ask advice from people, they're well-intentioned, but we all come to it from our own place. Right. And at the end of the day, it's what's best for you. I remember when I was pregnant with Finley, you know, cause she was my first, which was, you know, seven, seven plus years ago now. But people are like full of advice. And then I remember somebody telling me, he's like, she's like, the only piece of advice I'm ever going to get give you is you need to figure out what works for you and do that. And mm-hmm. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. And I sort of – that's what I did. And sometimes people now when they'll ask me like, oh, you've had two kids. What do you – not that two kids is like a herd and makes me an expert or anything. But like people are like, what do you, what do, you do? I'm like, I don't know. You figure out what it is that works for you and you do it because mm-hmm. – then it's fine. If it works for you, then fine. Your kids will be fine. That's that's so true. That's such good advice. If it works for you, your kids will right, be across fine. Across the board. If it works for you, it's going to be fine. That's excellent life advice. Um, so we've talked about being comfortable in your own skin, life advice, all the things. Can you think back uh, on a criticism you received early in your career oh that was difficult but helpful in the long run? Uh, I mean – I don't think there's a day that goes by in your career where you're not critiqued in some way. And a lot mm-hmm. of times your your biggest critic is yourself. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. come on. I can sit here and do a 20-second reader and I know exactly what I could have done better or worse um, or where I went wrong or um, I crush myself. But you got to let it go and move on. Um, I mean, I was criticized early on because – I think I had more of a Midwest accent, um, okay. probably had a, a more of a Midwest accent, and I had to try to get rid of that. Um, in fact, I think I went to a vocal coach for a while at my first job. Now that oh, I'm wow. that, that was a long time ago, though. That was literally 20, 21 years ago. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. Most it's like appearance and storytelling, but I think the people, the ones that stand out to you are the the critiques that make you better and the people mm-hmm. that sort of 
constructively and lovingly take you under your wing and provide like a, a mentor role, those are the ones that stand out. I tend to not carry with me the ones that were like hard to hear and I never recovered from it. I, I you know, I can think of, you know, two news directors in, in, in particular that offered me advice that even today when I'm writing stories or delivering stories, I think of them in the back of my head. Um, the two anchors that I worked with at my very first job, they're two of, I, I, st I still, I, I, <laughs> this is going to sound silly, but like I want to go back to my hometown and I want to anchor a newscast because the one guy is still there. I want to anchor a newscast with him because I think it would be so cool because he helped me so much along the way just from delivery and writing and um, how to sit at a desk and, and just random stuff, right? And I just think mm – -hmm. Yeah, there were criticisms and there were critiques, but they were all things that made me better. Mm -hmm. And I don't look at them like a – I don't know. Maybe this is a lame answer. I just don't look at them like a bad way. No, it's – it's but it's a great answer because that's that's kind of what I'm you know getting at is I want people to understand that it's okay to be criticized if it's constructive. You know, there's different and like on Twitter than like – If it's not constructive, you have to almost consider the source because anyone who yes. has like your best interest – at heart, is not going to give you criticism that's that's not constructive. I mean, otherwise, it, it feels like they've got some sort of alter, ulterior motive, and it's it's jaded criticism. And that's you have to think about the ideas that you let into your life, and you have to let the think about the ideas and the words that you let sort of color the way that you see the world. And if mm -hmm. if it's not genuine, and if it's not coming from a place of you know, I want to help you, right, and I love you, and all things like that, then no, that person doesn't belong in your headspace. Don't let them live in there rent-free. No. <laughs> you like to say. Um, so you've talked a lot about mentors. Is there anyone, one or two people, or as many people really, who've um, really helped you throughout your career? Um, I mean, I, I go back to he's – I think he's now – I don't even know where he is now. That's terrible to say. I think he's at the CBS now in Rockford, but his name is Eric Wilson. Um, he was one of the main anchors that I worked with um, right off the bat, and I still talk to him. I, but now I talk to him about you know life stuff and kids mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But um, without some of the tough love that he gave me in the beginning as an 18, 19-year-old kid, um, I definitely wouldn't sort of – I wouldn't have done some of the things that I did back then uh, without his love and guidance and support and criticism um, but he sort of helped me get onto a path and set me off on a path as did back then it was Heather Pick. She died, um, God, she probably died about 10 years ago now, but she was great. Those two were great. Um, I had a news director in Fort Wayne. His name was Rick Mull. Um, and I haven't talked to him since probably a year after I left Fort Wayne, but I can still in my head think of some of the things that he would say to me when I would watch tape with him um, and review things, or I would go to him for advice on things. And I can I can still hear our conversations in my head. Um, mm -hmm. My new director in Indianapolis, and I know this is terrible, but for some reason at this moment, I'm like brain farting on his name, but the same thing. Those two men, I can hear them talking to me. I can hear them, you know, giving me advice and, and sort of, I, I put, I put to use Every day, some of the things that they told me, even if it was 20 years ago, every day, they still 
they still play out in my brain. If you could give our listeners a piece of advice for starting a career in sports journalism, what would it be? Work hard. I mean, I know that that seems really stupid, but it's the most basic of of all things. It's it's work hard and get as much experience as you can. Like the first thing that I always tell people is go get an internship. And some people will be like, oh, I did. I interned at the NBC affiliate in Boston. Great. How much coffee did you grab for the Yankers? I want mm-hmm. you to go to that podunk town in the middle of Wyoming or South Dakota or North Dakota or in the middle of Illinois or whatever and work for the small station where you will learn everything, every aspect of the business from how to do weather to mm-hmm. editing the video to telling the sports stories to writing the news stories because there's a different way. Like learn everything. Get an appreciation for the entire business and how it all comes together because it makes you a well-rounded individual. It gives you that foundation. And just say yes to everything. If you've got an opportunity over here, say yes to that. It may not be something that you're totally interested in, but you never know what it'll lead to. That It's a networking opportunity. It's a it's a chance to experience something new. It's, an, it's a chance to see if you hate something. All of those things are important. And you don't know that unless you do it. So go do it. Say yes. I love say yes. That's the theme. Be in a place say of yes. yes. To the dress. Yes. <laughs> say yes to the dress. Say yes to all the things. Um, so before we get to day in the life and five fun facts, uh, we're totally switching gears. And we're going to talk Packers football. I cover the 49ers, so okay. I'm sorry about last year. Okay. Um, but okay. that's okay. You, you made up for it for you this year. Uh, how far are your Packers going to go? I don't know. I'm one of those people, like, as a fan, I'm super skeptical and cynical. I am the like, – my family hates hanging out with me because I was like, <laughs> that will work with people who used to play on the team and they'll tell me stories and it will, like, color the way I view certain players – and I'll want to tell my family that. And they'll be like, no, we don't want to hear it. We just want to love everybody. Um, I like what I see in the team this year a lot better than what I did, I think, in the year, the years, like last couple of years, particularly mm-hmm. under Mike McCarthy. Like this year, um, it, like year two under LaFleur, I feel like they have a better identity and a better sense of like what they're doing on offense. Like I feel like last year they had this great plan. And as long as it was scripted, it was great but they didn't make great in-game adjustments. And I feel like we're seeing that a bit more out of them this year. Um, I mean, selfishly, Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any younger. So you hope that they, you know, I, I selfishly hope that they make it, you know, to the Super Bowl. But I, I think obviously they've got NFC championship game potential. It's just mm-hmm. staying injury free. God, staying COVID free this year. Yeah. This is a weird year. It's a very weird year for everyone. As as you know, the team I cover has had to move, had to fall on, move to yeah, a different surprise. City, so just, you're now playing in Arizona. The Arizona. I was at you know at the Monday night football game, and I think I did a post and said like root 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 for the home in post team. <laughs> here we are. Here we are the Glendale 49ers. But it is a weird year. It's just very different. But uh, I actually I have high hopes for the Packers, and I will tell you that. Earlier in the year, I wasn't convinced because I felt like last year their record was not really indicative of. I thought they were trash last year. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. There, I, I thought they were okay. up here, and I was amazed that they made it as far as they did. I was not expecting anything like they exceeded expectations last year. I thought this year I'm expecting them to make a run at the NFC title. Like, I think, I think. I mean, obviously, if Drew Brees comes back, the Saints, the Saints are really good. Um, I don't have any concerns about anyone in the NFC East as being a problem. Um, I can't imagine why you feel that way. <laughs> no, I think a lot of things can happen. I was a little surprised yesterday that the that the Lions got back in it at the end, but I feel like that's also something Green Bay does. They like get a little lax. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I have high hopes, but I'm not. I'm not betting on anything yet because the AF. I'm certainly not betting on a Super Bowl because the AFC teams. I mean, they're they're really good. They are. They are really really. Good. Although I'm not really sure what to think of the the Steelers lately. I know they're having the a first moment. Twelve games or the first whatever they are, eleven games in the season, they were good. And then the last two games, it's like they've completely lost their identity and they can't move the ball and they have no run game. I, I don't know. We'll see. This did happen. I remember last year with the 49ers and they won all those games and they lost to Seattle and then they had the almost win at Baltimore and then the really exciting win at the Saints and they lost to the Falcons and then they had like a tough game against the Rams. So I do think it's maybe at this point of the season, especially with everything everybody's going through, the Steelers may just be having a moment. That being yeah. said, the Bills sure look like they're having a different kind of moment um, and that they're they're surging across. So, it, you know, I don't know. My yeah. my new AFC Championship game prediction is Kansas City-Buffalo, but we'll see. But I, I, I feel shocked. good about the Packers. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked either. Yeah. And I hope both where they're all red. They won't, but God, what a oh the color the, the color rush ones that um yes. color rush that Buffalo ran out last night. I liked those a lot. Me too. Me too. I liked it. It was that was fun. Um, all right. So we're gonna do if you could take us through a day in the life of Nicole Briscoe, and then we will move to five fun facts. Okay. So a day in my life when I'm working, um, it 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 depends a little bit. Uh, I have a couple different show lengths. If it's a standard show, I only get up at three. Oh. If it's a Saturday show, I get up at two thirty, sometimes a little oh. earlier, two thirty, two fifteen, because our Saturday show is five hours and it's a lot. Okay, um, that's a lot. That's a long time. Yeah, and our so yeah so if it's you know if it's during the week, I get up at three. Um, I you know in makeup by four and into the office by about. 4.30, 4.45. And then I, you know, I have got a couple hours of prep work before we're on the air at 7, 7 to 10. Um, and then it's work, obviously. On Saturdays, we go to noon and then it's work, work, work. Um, and then it's it's like then my the rest of my day begins because I get to come home. Um, mm -hmm. And normally I try to take advantage of like this window right after the show before lunch to get in a workout because my kids are in school. At least mm -hmm. two days a week, both of my kids are in school. My oldest is in first grade, but my little one's only in preschool. So she goes a couple days a week. So I try to take advantage of like the in-school time to get in all the things that I need to do when they're not around. Um, today, secretly, I'm wrapping Christmas presents. Ooh, trying, I won't tell. I'm trying, I'm trying to get that done when they're not here. Um, <laughs> so and then it's like lunchtime and then it's pick up Blake from school time and, you know, catch up with Blake. And then it's like only home for a little bit, play with her. And then it's, it's Finley comes home from school. Um, and then inevitably there's like some post-school activity. It's like today it's dance class. Both girls have dance. And um, we are fortunate enough to – we need to have a nanny in our lives because 
Most well, daycares aren't open at, you know, 3.30 in the morning when I leave for work on Saturday. It's so weird. I know. It's so weird. And my husband so travels strange. for his job. So we've been fortunate enough to have a wonderful woman with us. Um, literally, she met Finley in the hospital when she was born. So wow. um, she's been a nanny. So when my husband's working, sometimes we have her here. But like on days when we're home, it's normal mom and dad. So like today, one of us will take one of the daughters to dance and then we'll do like the two ships passing thing and bring the other one home. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other one will get ready for dinner. And then it's like dinner time. And then I basically turn into a pumpkin as soon as the kids are in bed. Like we try to get the kids in bed, like in bed, the lights off, door closed, no more shenanigans, like walking out by 830, 8, 815, 830. And then okay. um, I kind of turn into a pumpkin after that. Like I may be talking to you, but I it may not make sense. If that makes any sense, that does <laughs> make sense. And I mean, I you do have to wake up like so herons. Um, yeah, like I tried. I really try to be in bed and sleeping by nine thirty at the latest, because mm-hmm. um, otherwise it's just too hard. Because I don't nap. I don't nap during the day, which yeah. I know most adults don't nap, but most adults also don't get up super duper right. Early. It's 3 a.m. when they're yeah. sleeping in. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, that's – I wouldn't say that's like a normal day. Okay. That's a that's a solid, solid day that you have there. Um, it's solid. I think I average like five and a half hours of sleep a night. I think that's what my my sleep app tells me. And have you, have you gotten to a point that that's enough, that that works? I mean, obviously, I guess you don't have a choice. But. Um, yeah. I, pff, uh, no. Yes. No. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I feel like <laughs> – you know, we were talking earlier about the things like, do you find the balance? Do you find the perfect day? And I know like there are certain days in the week where I tend to be more tired. Like whatever mm-hmm. my Wednesday is, is always like the hardest day of the week. And inevitably I'll feel myself like wanting to yell at the kids for just being kids like, oh my God, stop being so noisy. And then you'll beat yourself up about it because you know, it's not actually about them. It's actually your fault that you are tired and you're yelling at right. them because you're tired. So, you know, Yeah. I no, five and a half hours is not enough sleep, but I can make it do. I can make it work. Well, that's you know what I kind of have no choice. You what'd you say? I kind of have no choice. Yeah, so you make so you do make it work. Yeah. Um. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, I've had so much fun talking to you. Before I let you go, uh, thank you. Uh, We are gonna do five fun facts with Nicole Briscoe. All right, Nicole. What is your favorite moment in sports? Favorite moment in sports, like forever, ever, forever, ever. Oh my god! Um, I don't think I can narrow it down to one. I'm going to give you two. I happened to be in Dallas for the Super Bowl the last time Green Bay won. Um, oh, amazing! So that was the one, the Super Bowl. So that was yeah, as a fan. I wasn't there for work. I was there as a fan. So that was amazing. Um, and then 2016, Game Seven of the World Series when my Cubs finally won the World Series, and sort of just the whole night, and you know how that game unfolded, and. That was awesome. Those are my two favorite moments. I had a feeling that latter one was definitely <laughs> one of the favorite moments. Uh, what is your life motto? I don't know if I necessarily have one, but like when, like based on what I guess we've been talking about, it would be find find your voice and stay true to yourself. I like that. That's a good one. Um, well, my next one is your go-to workout, and I know we kind of covered it. Something um, in Peloton. I would say something in Peloton. So either go for a run or, or, or go ride a bike. Your go-to coffee order. Oh, that depends on my mood. 
That totally depends on it. Like right now, I'm just coffee with heavy cream. Okay. Um, but every once in a while, I want like a latte, but I don't do dairy. And okay. that, <laughs> I know it makes no sense. Like if I'm going to do, I'll just do like a dash of heavy cream in my coffee. Um, okay. If I'm going to do like a latte, I'll do oat milk or almond milk. Okay. That actually, my mood. that actually does make sense to me because I do pretty much the same thing. Okay, Because good. I don't do dairy in my coffee unless, here's a fun fact about myself that I've just inserted to your fun facts. But if I am not going to have time to eat like for a long time, but I can't oh, do that. Like, do a dairy I'll, thing? I'll do like a whole milk latte because it'll keep me full for several hours. Yeah. But it, see, for me, I'm like, I, I get migraines and dairy, too much dairy oh. will get migraines. Okay. So I then- see why, But I see why I would, that could be a thing. Yeah. That was uh, last year's Super Bowl in Miami for the 8 million days I was in Miami. That was my thing every day because it got me like to some yeah. point, but migraines would not have been good. So no, no, no. Or I wouldn't work that. Wouldn't, I wouldn't really wish them on anyone. Um, what is a book every woman should read? Oh God, whatever it is that makes you happy. I don't have, God, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible five fun facts person. No, um, you're not. No, you're not. You could give me a favorite podcast if that's better or a I, favorite. Um, I think, so I'm at a point in my life right now where I only read things that bring me joy. Um, mm -hmm. So whatever yeah. it is that I can like, sometimes I feel like it's just an escape and I'm reading a really good book that I just get into. Um like a beach read. Which mm -hmm. I, I read one. Oh, no, I'm, this is going to come. We're going to hang up and I'm going to be like, crap, that's the book I meant. Um, I don't know. Whatever. This, I'm lame. Whatever it is that makes you happy. There's nothing lame about that. I like that a lot. I think that's the thing. You have to like give yourself time. And if you have time to read, just read whatever it is that makes you happy. That makes you, you know what? relax. I, do it. I like that. Uh, it goes back to really the theme of this entire episode. Kind of, so, yeah. So I'm into it. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun. Thank you. Uh, if you guys liked what you heard, and I know you did, uh, please leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And we are going to take a short little break for the holidays. And so we will be back with another new Get My Job the first week in January. Happy holidays and happy new year, everybody. Bye. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we, we think, think we're, we're funny, funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.